episode 98, Nope Sparrow Podcast. Justin Lee, what the hell's going on? It's uh, it's crazy. We've nearly done a hundred episodes of the Nope Sparrow Podcast, and uh, it's been fantastic to have some of you along for the full ride. I know, talking to a couple of people, they've listened to every single episode of Turbo and I dribble on with uh, fantastic guests from all over the world. And uh, we just dial in on their tips and tricks and advice and wisdom and all their stories and lessons learned. And it's a it's a great place to come if you just want to catch up on some stoke. And uh, if you're in traffic, then what better place to be than listening to the New Sierra Podcast. So welcome along. Today we are interviewing Justin Lee from the Big Island of Hawaii. And he's got a fantastic story. I didn't even realize it until uh, after the show, but... He grew up uh, and he suffered from neuroblastoma cancer and uh, followed his dad out into the water from a young age and uh, just loved it, fell in love with the water. And um, his story is very much one of gradual progression. But um, some of the competition hacks and mindsets and ideas and just ways of thinking about it come through loud and clear in today's interview. There's definitely some actionable stuff that you can take away and apply to your own spearfishing and just stay stoked. He's just the top bloke. But before we get there, I wanted to hook into some shout outs. Now, North Florida shootout from May the 1st to May the 5th. it's a fantastic tournament. New Spiro sending along a couple of prizes. So if you want to get along and get get hold of a copy of 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing, maybe some of the other fantastic prizes that sponsors are putting up, head along to the North Florida Shootout from May the 1st to May the 5th. If you want to find out a little bit more about the tournament, I'd encourage you to go along to northflshootout.com and uh, you'll find a plethora of information over there at North Florida shootout.com um and other news cast box reviews now i just got an android phone i switched over from iphone and it's gone i've got a new pixel and i uh, downloaded cast box because I, I and i like this app but i found a couple of reviews buried in there that hadn't mentioned on the show before Adam Price says, awesome podcast, every episode has some gold in it. Trent Conitzer says, great podcast, very informative and fun. Leonard Van Eerden said, great podcast, very informative and loaded with actionable stuff and just the right amount of Aussie banter. Um, I'm a Kiwi, so I only take small amount of offence because I live in Australia. So, but thanks for that, Leonard. All, all good reviews. Um, and other news, uh, there was a drowning down in North Otago. Uh, I, I believe it was a couple of guys drowned uh, gathering seafood off there, off, off Kakanui. Um, you know, what can I say? It was a it was a dangerous day. It was hectic conditions, and uh, these these <clears throat> this guy and maybe two of them drowned. Uh, horrible stuff. Uh, so yeah, be aware. Dive to your conditions. Uh, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about these guys. Um, pe- people drown, you know, stuff happens. But, uh, yeah, sad stuff. Um, if you don't have a spearfishing club, I would encourage you to join one. Now, noobspearo.com, if you head to the homepage, there is a link up in the menu. Uh, you can go to Spearfishing Club Connections. It's got a whole list of spearfishing clubs, and I'm slowly gathering more and more and more of them. So if your club's not in there, I'd love it if you email me, Shrek at Noobspearo, and I'll put your club up. You'll see what information. I need um, by going to the page and having a quick look. Um, so that'd be fantastic, and I'd encourage every, every everyone to join a club because they're fantastic. Not only for lobbying governments to make sure they protect our fishing rights and uh, and 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 help us manage it, but also a great place to connect and learn and develop your skills and meet a big network of other like-minded spearers. So definitely do that. Uh, I had a bit of a brain fart uh, the other day. It's 
you know, a lot of guys are diving with real guns these days, and I would love to see a float that could possibly position itself directly above the diver. And I thought you could do that with with all the technology we've got going on now with GPS, that you could fit like a small Minn Kota-type motor to a float, and it could, it could potentially just stay above where the diver with the real gun is. Now, I don't know how feasible this idea is. I am not going to pursue it with any sort of budget or seriousness, but I was just wondering if there's a solution for that. Um, so I'm just chucking it out there on the airwaves, seeing if someone wants to get hold of it and use it, because I think there, there could be a good market for a float that uh, you know ha has this ability to, to follow a diver to, to some extent anyway. Uh, but don't know if it's stupid or whatever. But anyway, I thought I'd put it out there. New Spirit Podcast Review on iTunes. Daniel McKay says, excellent podcast. I'm new to spearfishing and found the New Sphere podcast a few months ago. I've read the books and articles, watched YouTube videos, and have to say that I have gotten the most out of listening to the New Sphere podcast. The host, Shrek and Turbo, ask great questions and are really dot, dot, dot. I, I don't know. Um, funny. Um, fill in the blank, I guess. But thanks for that, Daniel. Good review, man. Um, 99 tips to get better at spearfishing on Amazon. You can get the soft cover version on there and the hard cover is available in quite a few retailers. Uh, if you want to get the soft cover, you can get it on Amazon. Simon Clark says, great read. Some great advice for all Spiros. I highly enjoyed and recommend this book. Take what you need from it and enjoy yourselves. Cool review. Uh, last last but not least, such a great resource. I'd like to thank these two guys for creating, creating this series. There are very few, if any, freediving Spiros where I'm at. I started freediving spearfishing over a year ago, but just recently found the podcast. My wife has joined me in this new world, and thanks to this series, we have grown so much more confident, I think. Uh, it's from Kezagon, one, so from the US. So thanks for that review, man. Awesome. It's great to hear that the podcast is uh, helping you know Spiros from all over the place connect and learn some good information. But uh, look, I want to hook into this interview with Justin Lee and uh, enjoy. Let's hook in. Today's Dynamite Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by spearfishing.com.au. That's right, the fine folks over at Adreno have been supporting the Noob Spiro podcast since about episode 18, and they help pay the bills around here. Just want to encourage you to check out spearfishing.com.au and use the code Noob Spiro. You can save 20 bucks on every purchase over 200, but it's just a great online shopping experience. The reviews are phenomenal. If you want to check out a new spear gun, new pair of booties, new pair of gloves someone's used them before they've written a review it's on their website it's all there right for, there for you head along to spearfishing.com.au and thank you for shopping with it today's major sponsor adreno all right cool g'day noob sparrow community today i'm joined by justin lee fireman father all around character and uh, I've already had a, a, a pretty good chat listening to him before we started recording and uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show today, Justin. Hey, hello, how are you guys doing? Aloha from the Big Island. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit of a, a change though, I'm not a firefighter anymore. Oh, aren't you? What are you doing now? No, so my dad and I do a, uh, a dry land reforestation project here on the Big Island ah. and uh, we focused in on making a, uh, an essential oil we call Royal Hawaiian Sandalwood Oil. And um, all the proceeds and everything that we've been making thus far uh, has been gone and back into putting up, I think we've erected over seven miles of fences, put in over 10 miles of fire breaks, and have planted 
thousands and thousands and thousands of new trees oh wow um into the forest yeah it's it's an amazing place and it allows me to be outside and and walk around you know i still have my emt license just in case something happens yeah but uh no 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 more firefighter work no more running into fires for me um <laughs> just uh allows me to say yes to a lot more more trips and a lot more spearfishing competition opportunities oh that's cool cool yeah so it's gone really really well so it's been for about a about a year and a half now. Okay. So it's been uh, it's been a little bit of a transition, but it's great. It's really really great. And I got a little boy on the way, so I'm pretty pumped on that. So you'll have fires to put out at home uh, with, oh, with two with two little ones. <laughs> I've got uh, yeah. My daughter will be two here in a couple of months, and she puts a she puts a lot of fires out there. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> little girls are easy. They say they're mellow. No. My daughter, of course, is the exact opposite of all of that. Yeah. And you spend a bit of time hunting there, um, and you get around and do a little bit of hunting on land and beneath the ocean. I'm looking forward to sort of digging into that in this interview. But um, to look, tell us tell us sort of how you got started spearfishing. I got started spearfishing following my dad, like I think a lot of us do. You know, my dad was uh, the, the superhero that didn't wear a cape, and uh, you just wanted to follow him everywhere. Um Followed him into the woods uh, hunting with a bow and arrow. And, of course, that uh, that love um, of adventure took my dad into the water, and I was uh, right there with him. And uh, I think just like a lot of progression for a lot of kids nowadays, or it seems like back in the day, you started off as bag boy. You yeah. know, you, you drug the stringer around, and, and that, you know, allowed you to see what kind of fish you're supposed to spear and what kind of fish you weren't supposed to spear. And, and then uh, I remember the, I got my first three-prong or pole spear and uh then no fish was safe after that <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, i remember my dad speared a um a japan flag which is like uh it's an eating fish but it's not the best eating fish and um out here in hawaii my dad put it in the tidewater pool for me and i put it on one side of the tidewater pool and full-on hunt it to the other side and spear it and <laughs> throw it on the other side of the tidewater pool and full-on stock it and hunt it and I mean, this fish is dead for an hour now already. But <laughs> to me, it was it was a three hundred kilo marlin on the other side of the the pond that needed needed a spear in the head. So yeah, but you know, I think uh, growing up, that's that's what it was. It was just trying to be be like my dad, and uh, I loved it. And eventually, got a spear gun in my hand. The first time I speared a fish with a spear gun, I couldn't even load the spear gun myself. My buddy had to load it for me, and. Uh, but it was a little parrotfish, and I just loved the ability to to be able to shoot stuff that was just a little bit bigger than what I could get with my pole spear. Yep, yep. And um, you know, and then growing up, of course, uh, you know, you want to beat your chest like everybody else and go after bigger fish. And so, picked up a real spear gun that I could load myself, and and I guess the rest is history. You know, I just fall in love with it. But now that I've gotten to spearfish, you know, kind of all over the place and speared some nice fish. Been blessed enough to spear some big fish. and um, But there's days that I just love picking up my old three-prong and jumping in the water and spearing fish the size of my hand. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like something special about living in Hawaii too. Like um, some of the tastier fish you guys have seem to be smaller. And I think maybe that's the same everywhere. I'm not sure. It's... Uh, yeah, here in Hawaii, that's uh, a friend of mine, uh, Ryan Myers, uh, which is a 
pretty accomplished spear fisherman from Florida. Yep. And he comes out here and he's all like, that's why Hawaiians are such good at spear fishing. You guys' aim has to be perfect or else you guys miss your fish completely. Uh, and they're, they all have a master's degree in spear fishing already. <laughs> so you know, and uh, when we were in Greece, they were saying that the fish are so smart in the Mediterranean that uh, when you're driving your boat over, they know exactly what kind of motor you have on, what inflatable <laughs> boat you have on. And you jump in, they know what kind of fin and spear gun you're shooting. And by the time you're halfway down, they know your name, they know your school, and they know the history of who you are. <laughs> so you need every advantage you can get. Um, so. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But yeah, here in Hawaii, you know, one of my favorite fish to chase is what you picked up when you were little, and it's a fish called the yellow eye pole. And um, even to this day, it's still one of my favorite fish to eat. And, uh, you know, it just brings you back to your roots. That is just just a good part of um, growing up here in Hawaii. It sounds like your dad really nurtured your stoke. And a lot of your spearfishing was marked by this kind of this gradual progression. You know, like you started young with a pole spear. And it sounds like uh, from before the show, your breath hold was kind of the same. You, It was just your, your entire spearfishing has just been the slow and steady progression. Is that how you sort of see it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, like, um, you know, for a while, my dad and my mom took us up to the live, live in the mainland. So, we didn't do any spear fishing or any breath holds or anything like that until I came home when I was ten, um, and uh, that's when really started spear fishing. Back uh, was at ten, eleven is when I got my first pole spear. But um, yeah, just slow, slow and steady. And um, you know, my dad always put that thought in your head if you're if you're not moving forward you're standing still so uh didn't want to stand still <laughs> i'd always try and push forward so c can you remember anything you sort of struggled with while you were on this sort of journey and, and steadily improving um i think the biggest thing was because um, for me it was being really comfortable in the water and uh i think from swimming as a, a little kid in a pool back and forth that that helped get comfortable. But I think the biggest thing was, was that my dad and my uncles were so good, you know, and I hated being the guy that uh, couldn't carry my own weight. You know, whether I was 12 or 13 years old, you know, I'd, I'd spear a fish and I'd be stoked and I'd swim up to my dad and I'd be like, look, and he's like, sweet, congratulations. You know, and, and being as supportive as dad as can. And then I'd see his catch and I'd see my uncle's catch and I'd be like, Jeez, Louise. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it it just, you know, it set the fire underneath. Um, but the one thing I think that made me, that made me more frustrated and confused more than anything, out here looking for octopus, or uh, we call it taco or hey, out here is a big part of, you know, spearfishing as we enjoy eating them out here. We've got, you know, a bunch of local dishes that uh, are always a constant on the dinner table in a lot of the houses out here. And, um, you know, so finding octopus was always a big thing. And uh, we would be diving and my dad would see them and point them out to me. And I'd sit on the surface just in complete baffled state of what the hell is he looking at? <laughs> and then he'd go down and the reef would move. And I'd be like, Oh my God, there was an octopus right there. There was one time where he actually, he's like, go get the octopus. And I'm like, where? And he's like, it's right there on the coral head. And I mean, I'm like 11, 12 years old. And I thought my dad was putting a joke on me until he went down 
and basically made it change color with the tip of his spear. And then I went down and speared it. And, you know, I was just so baffled that you could see octopus and uh, like that and with ease that my dad did. And um, and I remember I was just for every time we would go diving, whenever you got into an area that kind of felt like there was octopus around, I would spend majority of my time looking for an octopus in there. And, you know, every now and then we get lucky. And that's the reason I have an octopus tattooed on my shoulder is because that, that uh, you know, those, those times when I was younger and I couldn't see him. And when I finally did, it was such a prize to catch. And, um, you know, it, it's such a fond memory of diving octopus with my dad and my friends and, and everybody else that I've gotten to dive with that it's huge. Yeah, man, uh, it, it, it kind of started making me think about, you know, like finding finding fish and finding crayfish and finding octopus. Sometimes when, you, when you're doing it, like it seems like if you're a single, t- single tasking, like if you're just hunting octopus, they're easier to find. But if you're spearfishing, hunting octopus and looking for crayfish or lobster at the same time, you, you kind of do a couple of them maybe don't get, you know, they get neglected. You, you miss opportunities. Is, is that what you find? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, I've, uh, when people ask me to go get octopus for a graduation party or a baby party, um, I have to leave my spear gun in the truck. And the day that I found more octopus than I've ever found was a day that I forgot everything, every spear tool. The only thing I had in my uh, truck, believe it or not, was an arrow. (laughs) (laughs) And that day, I was in and out of the water in an hour and a half, and I had, you know, enough for the party. (laughs) I remember thinking, I was like, geez, this is what I got to do is because it's it's so true is, you know, um, the tunnel vision. If you've just got one one task at hand, it makes it a lot easier. But Mm. You know, just like everybody else, I think that spearfishes, we all suffer from a little ADD. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, all of a sudden there's a squirrel that runs past or a, a silver a silver flash off in the distance. Yeah. And instantly your your game is done for yeah. looking for octopus. <laughs> now you're trying to chase the job fish that's on the, the edge of the reef or, or looking deep into caves because all of a sudden you found some great fish inside. So, yeah, definitely, definitely. It, that is what I found. My daughter is stomping on the roof above me. I don't know if you can hear that. She, <laughs> I didn't pick up she's on lighting it. fires right now. There's that. There's pound, or she's she's twenty four pounds now. How how a twenty four pound baby can make so much noise walking? I don't know, but uh, she finds a way. That wide, that wide <laughs> for attention, man. <laughs> I was gonna say, there's that up. There's that old hunting saying, um, a man who chases two rabbits catches none. I guess it's the same of, uh, in the water when you're you know, either going for lobster or octopus or whatever. You've kind of got to just do one thing well. Definitely. And uh, <laughs> lucky for me is I don't do a lot of things really well, but I do a lot of things. So eventually, <laughs> eventually can capitalize on something. So that's good. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's one of the most memorable fish you've ever taken, man? Um, uh, you've had a few. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of just all depends. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's the fish are great. Don't get me wrong. Like I love spearfishing. Like I've gotten now to go chances to, 
to spearfish in Panama and I've gotten some big tuna and I've speared some some decent sized wahoo here and there and some big goat fish. But uh, one of the most memorable fish would be my first job fish. We call it uku out here. You know, and growing up with a pole spear, that's six, seven foot long pole spear, it was just kind of just out of reach most times. And, um, you know, and I remember I speared my first job fish and I was so stoked and it was literally maybe a kilo. <laughs> I mean, it was a tiny one, yeah. but I was so pumped. And uh, and I don't know if I was more pumped on the fish or more pumped on calling my dad and saying, hey, dad, how do I cook an uku? Because, <laughs> you know, growing up, like that was the biggest thing was, oh, now we got an uku. You know, it's just such a prize snapper out here in Hawaii. that. Uh, and I remember my dad's all like, what? You got one? I was like, yeah. He's like, did you get it with your three prong? I was like, no. He's like, ah. <laughs> but uh you know that was just for as far as memory wise that's that's got to be one of them but yep. for me it, it's it's all about you know who you're there with you know um even competitions like i love competitions and i'm the middle of three boys and with my older brother and my younger brother i mean we used to have competitions about who could stay the quiet the longest and you know or who could run the fastest to the gate or who could eat the the most cereal in five minutes, <laughs> you know, whether it was always competition, but, but it was always, you know, the, the competition with everybody else more than, um, what we were doing, the task at hand, you know, so like spearfishing competitions, I love them. I love the preparation. I love the scouting, the diving, you know, I love it all. I love meeting the people at all over the places. And so like, for me, you know, what's the most memorable fish, it's hard to say, yeah. <laughs> um, but I can tell you some memorable trips that I've been on yeah. with some great people. You know, um, I've got a group of friends that go down to Panama every year. Um, this will be our third year going down. And, I mean, it's amazing. The fishing is, is off the hook. The fish is crazy. But it's, I don't think it would be that, that great of a place if I wasn't there with the people that I was there with. You know, and, you know, I gotten some big tuna don't get me wrong that you know bucket list size fish um that are memorable but you know and i still could probably play you every sequence of that dive to get the fish but the the smiles and high fives with everybody else just makes that fish that much more enjoyable and uh it's a it's a yeah it's a really good point man i'm so like with the people you go away on trips with um, what what yeah. what what makes them so great to hang out with? What are the qualities that make for, you know, just good people to? Because I mean, some some trips, you know, are always marked by stuff happening that you didn't expect. So I guess, you know, you, you you do want good people around you. So for you, what's kind of, what are the qualities and characteristics you 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 like in your dive buddies? Um, just people that are genuine. You know, people that are just happy to be there, happy to be. A part of the voyage and you know like people always ask well what's your biggest fish you've ever speared or you know um you know and for me i can tell you the weights but the weight of the fish really you know because it you get that judgment you know like say my biggest giant trevally is 
40 pounds. People are like, oh, he, how is he a good diver if he's only, <laughs> if his biggest giant Trevally is 40 pounds? You know, and so there's there's too much emphasis on that end prize. Yep. And so when we go on trips, what I really, really love is when we get a bunch of guys together that are there for the experience. And, um, you know, and that's a big, big part of it. And that are friends in and out of the water. And they're genuinely happy for each other for experiencing different things. And, um, you know, we just lost a, a great, great ambassador to the sport of spearfishing, um, a guy named Mike Hong. And he was one of the guys that I loved going on trips with. You know, we did some some epic, epic trips. And he was one of those guys that was stoked just to be there. And he was not weight-driven. He was not species-driven. He wasn't anything driven other than having a good time. And, uh, you know, like we went to Australia um, a couple of years ago. And we went down there a, a week before everybody else that was planning on being down there. And we were planning on diving out of South Mission Beach with uh, Rick Batua. Yep. And, of course, we get down there and the weather is just crap. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we couldn't even jump in the water. But that week that Mike and I spent there, I mean, we explored all over the place. You know, and there was just rain and you know 90 percent of the people that i think would plan a dive trip that upon getting there got stuck on land and we weren't even able to leave the harbor yeah you know the trip would have been a bust but with uh having a guy like mike hong you know and it was just he and i we got to we still lived it up we still had a blast you know the, the smile was still a constant and uh it just goes to a testament of you know who you want on your trip is is good people that you're going to have a good time regardless of the weather, regardless of the fish. Um, but when you do get the fish, the high fives are just as high and the smiles are just as big. Yeah, no, he sounds like a mad dude. I saw a lot of tributes to him on um, on Facebook and, yeah. And um, his good but good mates, he, he looked after Larry from Penetrator, who I know I think sponsors you as well. And... Uh, you know, if if Larry says nice things about someone, then I genuinely believe them. And uh, so he, he sounds like a mad dude. He'll be he'll be sadly missed. But um, I think that's a yeah, that's a a great recipe really for people to go on trips with. Um, I mean, let's 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 move forward a little bit. Um, you're talking about uku and and jobfish. I mean, part of the joy and I mean, taking even a one kilo one when you're starting is I guess the stalk and you know develop developing a strategy and all these sorts of things how how did you how did you sort of put that together to to what are some of the more difficult species you've had to develop strategies for uh i think here in hawaii that you know the the creme de la creme of difficult fish to spear uh would be the uku and the mu which is the large eye large eye emperor i think they're called down there but um yeah, it's just because they're so difficult, and uh, most times they're found in a little deeper water, and so you have to be a little, little more cautious on your movements um, more than anything. And uh, you know, I, we touched on this before we started talking on the, the podcast, but you know, I'm an avid archery hunter, and I love hunting on land. And what land hunting allows you to do is observe animals and watch their uh, their mannerisms and their their uh, their movements and kind of just allows you to read their body language, but the comfort of letting it take you know a long period of time. Where in the ocean, you kind of have to be a little more keen to it, faster, to allow you to either move in their direction or 
move and hide a little better. Um, and here with, with Mu and Uku, I mean, you can chum them up and you can, with the gray snappers, at least the Uku, you can chum them and, and get them pretty, pretty comfortable around you with food around. But I just, I love spot and stalking them. I love getting into an area where I think I, they'll be and lying down and uh, just trying to outsmart them. You know, I think uh, with some of the bigger, bigger, more smarter ukus that I've got, I've actually, you know, had to kick out in the middle of a sand pocket, throw up a lot of sand, and then swim just shot distance away from it and hide underneath a pile of rocks or hide underneath a little overhang and let their curiosity bring them to the puff of grass, puffs of sand, you know, with, with nobody around. And uh, it allows you to ambush them that way. Um, and that's... That's my favorite, guys. If you can kick up some dust, um, you know, within 10 feet of a, a crack and then completely get away from where you just kicked up and allow them to approach the, the cloud of sand without a, a human lying in the middle of it, they, they usually are a little more curious. And it allows you, off to the side, a little bit more uh, movement, um, allowing you to hopefully execute a better shot okay cool and, that's a really I mean, good that's green. a really good trick man i mean everyone throws sand up but not everyone thinks to kind of leave the area a little bit so i like it in in uh, portugal the fish are pretty keen on on spear fishing and spear fishermen and they they're pretty smart as well and so the littlest movements um gave your position away and and in a half kick of the tail they were gone and uh you know, there it was being able to notice their movements with uh, having swivels on your spear guns. You know, when you move your gun, even if you move it slowly, that swivel sometimes will tap on the barrel and uh, having them react to that. And it's just, you know, every every place that you dive is going to be a little different. But if you can pick up, um, you know, my, my uncle told me a long, long time ago, he's all like, every... Every person you meet in your life has a quiver of arrows, and um, it's your job to take good arrows out of their quiver and <laughs> add them to your quiver. Yeah. So that at the end of the day, you've got, you know, a quiver full of great qualities of the kind of person you want to be. And if you take that, you know, that same motto into the ocean, and every hunt um, you learn a little bit from, and you know, you take that straight out. It's like, oh, when I dusted this way and I laid a little still. I got this result. I definitely want this arrow. Um, and so, you know, when you're in a situation that uh, you've tried three or four different arrows and it's not working, you still have a few more tricks or arrows in your quiver that uh, hopefully allow you to bring dinner home. Yeah, yeah. That's, that that advice seems to have stood you in good stead, man. Um, you've you've dived with some <laughs> you've dived with some phenomenal people all over the world and got some really good results while you've been doing it. Um, have you got any of those sort of those arrows that that you you hold tight, like um, you know some tricks to the trade that you've picked up from you know unique people that you wouldn't mind sharing? Yeah, well, I think the first thing you know before any tricks or trades that can be discussed is wherever you go, listen to the local people. You know, don't be a yeah but guy. And uh, what I mean by a yeah but guy is, you know, when someone's trying to tell you, oh. Um, I find that uh, I find the crustaceans or I find the fish here in this and I find that you do that. Be like, 
yeah, but I've learned from somebody else this way. You know, don't be the yeah, but guy. Just say yeah and listen and take it all in, whether you agree with the 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 knowledge that they're trying to pass on or not. But just being a nice guy and listening and, you know, and taking everything they say to heart, you know, allows you to form relationships with people that are local there and eventually will, will teach you their tricks and trades. Um, I think, you know, relationships with people um, is is the start of any any good fisherman, I believe. But uh, some tricks of the trade, I think, hiding. Hiding is the best way. Hiding, I think, if you can work on holding your breath, whether you're diving in 10 feet or 100 feet of water, if you can just find a good hiding spot, because the fish are naturally curious. And if they see you and then they don't see you, they're going to come in and investigate. And uh, if you can, move slow. That's slow, hide good, and I think, um, and execute a good shot. You know, a lot of people, you know, before they go hunting or before, um, you know, before they go hunting, you know, they, they sight in their, their rifle or they sight in their bow yeah. to make sure it's shooting correctly. <laughs> I don't think, I think there's a big miss opportunity for a lot of spear fishermen <laughs> to go out and put a float and spend a lot of time making sure that you're, you know where your shaft is going, Yeah, you know? I, <laughs> I think a lot of people will buy a spear gun, go in the water, and pull the trigger and think, oh, why did I miss? Yeah, well, yeah. Shit, you didn't even practice with it. <laughs> I, just had a, I just had a massive uh, uh, lesson on this from this gun engineer. He, he gave me a huge lecture about this several times. <laughs> and, uh, and you know what I did? I still went out and I didn't um, sight it in, you know? And, and I, I, I've done a lot of hunting as well, sort of the same as you. And I'm used to sighting in a rifle, you know, because you, there's no way you want to injure animals and stuff like that. And yet with spearfishing, we don't do it, man. We, we just, it's always too hard. So we, we go out and hopefully we just shoot a few fish and get our eye in, so to speak. And, uh, but it, <laughs> I think that's what, you hit it, the nail on the head. You know, there's so many times he's just like, ah, I'll just go practice on some fish. Yeah. And then, of course... You know, that fish of a lifetime swims up and you blow it. Yeah. And you're like, what? <laughs> and it's so easy for us to point at the gun and be like, oh, it's the gun's fault. Yeah. I hate this gun. It doesn't shoot straight. It's nothing like my other gun. Yeah. Well, it's nothing like your other gun. So go shoot it to make sure that <laughs> it's shooting correctly. Yeah, it's really good advice, man. And uh, I finally got my, uh, my gun shooting exactly where I want to. And then the the flopper didn't engage, and I I lost a <laughs> I lost a forty five pound fish of a lifetime, and then uh and then and then I shot through a parrot, and and the shaft actually snapped where the flopper pin goes through. Uh, so it's like you know, like I finally got it accurate because I was too lazy to shoot it in, and then uh and then I you know by then the flopper was uh, playing games with me. So live and learn, live and learn. <laughs> Murphy's Law, yeah, definitely. Sure. 100%. Um, oh, all right, cool. We, we, we sort of had some good info there on um, hunting. I mean, what about the other end of the spectrum, like toughest situations out on the ocean? What um, what are some of the hairier moments you've had out? <laughs> Probably the scaredest I've ever been in the ocean and uh, was one day I went to go night diving out here and um, – 
it was with a guy that I had known, but I didn't know him. Now we're we're really really good friends, and we spent a lot of time on the water. But uh, he's not much of a diver; he's more of a fisherman. And uh, he wanted to have some lobsters, some crayfish. And so he's all like, let's go. I got the boat loaded. Let's go. I was like, okay. So we're leaving the harbor and the wind is is howling. And I was all like, oh. He's like, don't worry. It'll be fine. I was all like, yeah. You know, we, just like in anywhere else, you you know, when you've experienced quite a bit, you feel you get a an additional blanket of uh, warmth, even though the weather is is not not too in, um <laughs> inviting you know you think that you're the high macho macho guy they're like oh i've experienced this already i'm good to go <laughs> and uh and you should probably be listening to your inner self going ah stay at home but so we went out and we charged out there and um he dropped me off on this ledge um in the middle of this uh at the the middle of this bay and this ledge went from about you know 10 or 15 feet to the abyss pretty quickly and we've picking up uh, a bunch of lobsters there before and so he dropped me off and the wind was pretty strong and i'm diving along and i see um a big lobster and uh, i went down to go get it and i actually turned off my light and uh, when i went to try and turn it back on the switch just spun in circles didn't even turn my light back on and uh, my buddy dropped me off and went to go fishing <laughs> he went fishing and so i'm sitting there in the dark because i don't because I'm, you know, I'm too expert of a diver to carry on a, <laughs> a spare light in my pocket. And uh, so I'm sitting there in the dark, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, And then I see my buddy realize that he doesn't see my light, and he starts coming in. And, you know, there's a part of me that's like, okay, I should swim to the boat. But there's a part of me that's, like, the boat now is, you know, 200 meters away. And uh, I was like, well, do I swim to him? Do I risk getting run over by him? Or do I just sit here? And so I just started sitting there, and I could see that he started doing little circles where he dropped me off. And I started screaming as loud as I could his name. His name's Asa. And uh, he said that he could hear my voice, but he had no idea which direction it was coming from. Yeah, yeah. Because the winds were blowing like 30 to 35 knots. Oh. And... Uh, so he's doing these little circles, and I'm sitting there in the complete darkness going, when do I start swimming the shore? You know, like, because, you know, it's like when you get lost in the woods, right? You just stay in one place. <laughs> I guess yeah. I guess when you're spearfishing, you're not really staying in one place because the current's taking you. But yeah. that was my, my thought. It was all like, well, if I stay here, he'll probably find me. If I see his boat drive off, and then I know I've got to start heading into shore. And... um but we were probably two kilometers off the shore. Oh, wow. So it's a good swim. I was like, okay, I've got a good. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, about two months prior, there was uh, an article in the local Hawaii fishing news about how they tagged 14 tiger sharks outside of this bay. And so <laughs> that's like playing in my head. Like, yeah. It's like supposedly where they pup because of this huge bay it goes from deep water to shallow water so the tiger sharks pop in there so that the the younger sharks can have shallow waters to kind of grow up in i don't even know but i mean it was such a long time ago and i remember just drifting there and then uh, lo and behold we finally find each other about 40 minutes later and when he picks me up i'm in uh, 80 fathoms of water oh wow so like <laughs> you know it was at 480 feet i was 
I don't know what that is in meters, but yeah. it was past Wahoo Lane and <laughs> was drifting further out to sea. And wow. but that forty minutes was just like, oh my god! My buddy was all like, he was already starting his speech on what he was gonna tell my dad. <laughs> yeah, I lost your son. I don't know what to do. Man, those and, moments uh, are scary. Yeah, it was just a freaked out moment. Because um, you know, when it comes to sharks and stuff like that, you can see them. <laughs> you know, maybe that maybe it's the false sense of security by being able to see them. Yeah, and uh, maybe I've just never had any really really scary hairy moments um, with sharks. But uh, no, but at the end of the day, I would rather swim with sharks than with big eels. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. hate eels, man. Those things freak me out. Yeah, that's scary. Um, yeah. Just just with your situation, what what, what were you kind of your takeaways from it? Um, what 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 did you learn? <laughs> <laughs> have a spare light. Okay. Definitely key. Have a little light in your hand. Don't night dive by yourself. That's yep. that's another one. Um, if your buddy is gonna drop you off with the boat, make sure he's within shouting distance. <laughs> and uh, if your if your gut is saying, ah, eh, maybe you should stay in bed. Yeah. 90% of the time, your gut is telling you correct. <laughs> so listen to your intuition as well. All right. All right exactly. All right. Yeah, no, definitely some um, key lessons there. I mean, another thing you guys could have done is have an arrangement for like, um, you know, w- what to do. Because sometimes I guess the boat searching for a diver with no light is probably a re- recipe for disaster as well. But, I mean, there's not a lot you could do. I mean, you could say like, you stay still and I'll swim to you. I mean... It's just, yeah. it's a difficult situation, man. Just go back to where you dropped me off yeah. and just stay there. I'll come to you. Yeah. But yeah, there was there was a lot of lessons learned on that uh, that night for sure. And uh, one was to make sure you got extra baby wipes for your wetsuit. <laughs> uh, so you no wonder the tiger sharks left you alone. You were just a big a big. Yeah, big, they're like, that smells like crap. I ain't eating that. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't that hungry. Guys, head on over to penetratorfins.com. They are proud sponsors of today's Noob Spiro podcast. We're happy to announce a code you can use to save yourself $20 on any blade purchase. That's right, save $20, pump in the code Noob Spiro, check out penetratorfins.com, save yourself some dough on some fins and get yourself some of the best fins going. Larry's the man. Thanks, Penetrator. What's up, Shrek and Turbo? It's Jeremy here from Spearing Magazine. Uh, you guys have been doing such a killer job. I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, all the back issues are now like fully sold out. So if you guys want to get Spearing Magazine, though, we've come up with an international subscription just for you guys. You can get like the digital edition or the print edition. We're going to send that. We're going to ship that to you guys. Just get over to SpearingMagazine.com. Okay, guys, keep doing what you're doing. Jeremy out. God bless America. God bless President Trump. I love you guys. Let's 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 roll forward. Um, what about what about funniest experiences? Surely you've uh, you've dived with some characters over the year, and <laughs> I'm sure you've had yeah. uh, had a few. I, um, what is that? My friend Kylie, one of the very first times that we ever dove together, um, and Kylie Umeda is one of the 
I mean, when it comes to spearfishing, she's got to be the best woman in the world, I think, spearfishing-wise. And just at least, in my book, one of the top 10 best divers in the world. I mean, she's accomplished and speared everything. And and she's, you know, she's young and she's little. But, uh, but anyway, we were diving out here one day when we first met. And, you know, we swim into each other all the time. You know, when you're diving with a buddy and they look focused, you just swim as hard as you can and just bump them like a big shark would and just freak them out. <laughs> and uh, with Kylie that day, it was just doing that. It was just, you know, there was, she speared a fish and uh, I snuck up behind her and pulled the fish out of her hand and, uh, you know, played, basically cried wolf the whole time, that whole dive. And uh, sure enough, right before we get out of the water, um, I speared a a big parrotfish uh, for my neighbor and we were looking for it because it ripped off and we're both breathing up on the surface and this massive tiger shark I mean it had to have been 12 or 13 feet long just round as they get and she just swam and she was it was me Kylie which was probably four or five feet away from me and she was maybe 10 or 15 feet away from her and I was like, oh, and I looked at her and I pointed behind her like, there's a shark behind you. And she looked at me and flicked me off and stuck her tongue out. And I was all like, shook my head. I was like, no, 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 no. Behind you is, uh, is, is uh, what is that? I just pointed behind you and she looked. And by the time she looked, she and I were, were side by side. And uh, I mean, she, the tiger shark just swam past us. And we couldn't stop laughing as we were swimming back in. <laughs> And uh, we got back to shore, and she's all like, see? See what you want to do when you cry a wolf? The wolf is going to come. I was like, I'm sorry. Sorry, won't play that game anymore. <laughs> um, and then uh, another really funny time is, so like on the Hamakua coast over here, every entry in the water basically is a cliffside. And, uh, you know, when I first started doing competitions uh, was the U.S. Nationals out here, I think in 2014, was in Kona. And um, so we had kind of the who's who as far as spear fishermen go out here. And uh, I never competed before at that time at any level. And, you know, I shot my same Rob Allen spear gun for the last 10 years, had plastic blades and, <laughs> and uh, invited, invited a few of the guys that I met at the competition that I thought were legends, you know, um, and I still believe they're legends. You know, just reading in the Hawaii Skin Diver magazine, and it was John Barreto, Mike Hong, Spencer Haskins, this guy named Mike Jutt, and uh, Cowie Brown. And, you know, there's five guys that I've looked up to, you know, since I could barely basically move to Oahu and was spearfishing. I was like, I'm going to take these guys diving in my backyard. And uh, I was tickled. And so I wanted to take them to one of my more favorite spots. And I was like, oh, so they all met at my house and we went. And I was like, oh, I got to stop at my buddy's house to get a ladder. They're like, a ladder? I was all like, yeah, we need it to get down the cliff. And uh, so we show up and it's a 40-foot extension ladder. <laughs> and uh, we put it down and I'm carrying it down um, halfway down the cliff to where we can't go anymore. I extend it out, put the ladder down, and I tie it off to a big tree. And John Barreto, unbeknownst to me, is scared of heights at this time. And... Uh, so we're going down, we're climbing down the ladder, and Mike Hong and John Barreto are the top two guys at the bottom. And uh, John Barreto gets on, and I shake the ladder a little bit at the <laughs> bottom. And 
he clinches onto the ladder and he's all like, no, 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 no. And, uh, so Mike Jet, I mean, uh, Mike Jet, Mike Hong just started laughing hysterically and he started screaming, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and since that day, I mean, we've all become really, really close and really good friends. But whenever there was a group of us that we did something we didn't like, the no, 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 no came out. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just one of those classic dives where, I mean, we've had some epic fish and, we got some some pretty awesome pictures that Mike took of that dive. But just climbing down the ladder, seeing this legend of a guy, John Barreto, get scared because of the heights and a little wobbly wobbly uh, ladder. Just, I mean, we'll make that dive just one of the best, funniest dives ever. Uh, yeah, that's good, man. That's, that sounds like a great experience. You've, you've had a few of these funny stories. Uh... That's the beauty of spear fishing, you know what I mean? Everybody thinks it's... It's all just when you're in the water holding your breath. But 90% of the story is cruising with your buddies outside of the water, you know. And, uh, you know, whether it's the beers you're drinking after the dive or uh, the fried chicken or the, the burrito you're trying to convince your buddy to eat before you dive, knowing that it's just a gut bomb <laughs> while they're diving. <laughs> uh, so re- recently you got over to New Zealand. Uh, I... I- I wanted to hear a little bit more about your experience over there. What did you think of the New Zealand diving? New Zealand is amazing, man. I've been there now, I think, two times. And, uh, man, the life around New Zealand is just ridiculous. And uh, the people down there are freaking second to none, too. I mean, Dwayne and um, Jackson, the Shields, uh, you know, they're just really, really good guys. Um, Warren from Hex is an amazing, amazing human, um, all about having fun and having experiences. And, you know, we've got to dive up in Tutukaka uh, with a guy named um, Luke, uh, dove the Bay of Islands um, during Interpac. Um, and then we also dove Great Barrier Island and Mercury Island um, during uh, the, the New Zealand Nationals. And there is so much fish, man. It is, it's crazy. It's crazy, crazy, but it's so much fun. I, I saw you shot a couple of nice snapper. Did you get a good kingy as well? I did. Um, we were getting, uh, I think the biggest kingy I got down there, uh, I think was during the competition. Oh, nice. Um, the inner pack a couple of years ago, yeah. But they cap it out, so shooting a big kingy really doesn't do you any good. That's the beauty about the New Zealand Nationals um, and the, the inner pack. The way they set it up is that they want you to have a variety of fish, not just the big fish. You know, they so, you know, at the end of the day, to be um, sitting in the top uh, few places, you've got to really show that you're that you're good at what you're doing because anybody can get lucky and shoot a big kingfish. Don't get me wrong; they're strong and smart fish, and you've got to do all the right things. But that doesn't take away, you know, if the person that comes in with two big kingfish, the guy that comes in with uh, a medium-sized snapper, a medium-sized terakee, medium-sized kingfish, um, I think at the end of the day shows that he's a better spear fisherman because he can hunt all these different fish, not just shoot one fish with a really big fish. But uh, no, yeah, shot, shot a really nice one um, in competition at Interfact. So that was that was really cool. And the fish taste so good. That's... <laughs> 
they taste so good. We were in Tutukaka, and uh, I got swarmed by a vortex of uh, of kingfish, and just picked out one and that I thought looked a little fatter. And he had twelve coherus, I think they're called. They're like the blue runners bait fish. Yeah, had twelve of them in his stomach. Oh wow! And uh, that's why he was fat. When we were filleting him, the oil was on top of the knife, and it was the sashimi was so good. And then we smoked it, and it was just uh, everything was so good. So with um, competitions, I mean, you bring up an interesting point. What's kind of like um, you, you've gone in Greece, um, Portugal, uh, New Zealand. You've dived in these competitions all over the world. How do you sort of put together a strategy? Do you rely a lot on local advice? Uh, you try and rely on as much local advice as possible. Um, but I think, you know, the only way to really get an idea is to get out there and scout and do it yourself. Um, and so just to allow, you know, enough time, uh, for you to be able to hopefully encounter as much of the, the weather, um, differences that you'll get, whether it's a stormy day or a clear day, flat water, rough water. Um, because on competition day, you could be do a million and one different, uh, uh, weather conditions and just try and get ready for whatever it will be because the fish just like everybody else even on land you know if it's warm if it's choppy they're not going to be in certain areas where it's flat they're going to be in certain in these areas and just to try and um, build a, a playbook uh, as much as possible and the, the biggest thing is I think you know your whole time while you're scouting you're trying to build a game plan build a game plan build a game plan but don't stick to that game plan like glue and be able to have the flexibility to change because of the maybe the second to last day of scouting you go and check one more place and it's got a lot of fish you know but i know friends of mine that have dove they're like they're set in stone okay this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna start i'm gonna go here first here first here first here first and then on their last day of scouting just to make sure their spots they go and jump in at another spot and all of a sudden there's a lot of fish there and uh but they're so stubborn in their first game plan that they don't want to move away from it. Um, if I think just being flexible um, and being able to, on a dime, change up your ideas, but don't get too complicated. All right, I like you it. Know, simplicity. Simplicity, I think, as far as game, game uh, plans is the best. And don't leave fish to find fish. I was gonna say I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, nah, it kind of does. So, like, if if you've got like a couple of species in one area, maybe you've already shot one of those species, you you would stay there because there's probably others around, or is that kind of what you mean? Um, for me, yeah. Well, it kind of, I guess it all depends on the structure of the competition as well. Um, you know, uh, with the inner packs. You know, um, because it's a species tournament where you want to have as many species, I think go after the easiest fish first and don't spend so much time on a hard fish and then go and pick up your harder fish. Because um, a lot of times I think people always say, okay, I'm going to go get my snapper first. And uh, because in New Zealand, the snapper are pretty hard and it takes some time, you know, and if you put too much time into seeding a snapper, you don't leave enough time for the other seven fish that you could have speared when now you've only just got one snapper or you could have had seven others. But if you started off shooting this, the easier fish and worked your way up to the hardest fish, you know, you go with the guarantee points. So some, some, 
some comps are on boats, some are sort of from shore. Um, what's your What's your favorite format? Uh, I love swimming. You know, um, that's why I love the New Zealand format for the nationals so much. Is that it's uh, you all start in a common area at the at the whistle. They say go, and you swim, and you have to come back to the initial starting spot um, again. And I love that. I love because on a boat you can breathe up. You can. You're not. You don't have to be physically as fit as a guy that's swimming all day. Yeah. You yeah. know, in New Zealand, you're fighting current, fighting current, fighting current, breathing up, and then trying to dive 30 meters um, <laughs> and lie on the bottom and shoot something. Where, you know, on a boat, okay, the current is going here. Boat pick me up, drop me off at the end, at the side of the current, and I'm just going to drift it through and uh, do dives. Um, you know, and like that's why the guys in New Zealand, I mean, like the Canada divers, like Dwayne, I mean, that guy's a beast. Yeah. But that guy, you know, he, that's what he does is he fills up huge bags of Kenna and yeah. swims them around. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that guy's legs, I mean, I would hate to be kicked by that guy. <laughs> um, uh, you know, that guy's legs are, are amazingly strong and his lungs are used to the burn, but still being able to function. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why I love it. It's the, this may be sound a little brutish, but it's the manly way of competition spearfishing. <laughs> you know, it's the, the kick as hard as you can and hold your breath. Yeah. And, uh, I'm going to race you to that spot. Yeah. Now there is. It does sound like a lot about that. So you sort of your strategy is kind of keep keep things simple. Um, go for the easier species first, and then move out to the more advanced. What about your equipment? Um, do you change anything from regular diving to competition equipment? Uh, it all just depends on what kind of fish I'm diving for. Was that my trusty go-to gun is a one fifteen single roller Aimrite Rage uh, with a seventy meter reel on it. I've shot everything from little one pound or half kilo fish all the way up, but it is a bigger gun. So in, um, what is that? In Portugal, that fish was overkill. It was too big. Um, you know, however easy it is to maneuver under the water, you know, that's 115 centimeters off of your arm that is extended out. So it's like a, you know, a two-meter long pole that you're trying to move through the water quietly and, and trying not to um, bring too much attention to. So there I was using, you know, 100-centimeter to 90-centimeter guns, um, depending on water visibility. Um, you know, the U.S. Nationals this year uh, is going to be held in a lake in Lake Mead. And, um, you know, the water visibility there at on a good day will be two meters. Oh, wow. And so if you've got a 115 centimeter gun, the tip of the gun's going to be in the Merc and you're not even going to see it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it kind of depends on, for me, on what uh, the conditions are like to what kind of gun I have. Some so like when I compete, um, you know, you look at where it is, but I always have at least a 90. Um, I always have a 90, 100, and then my single roller goes with me everywhere. Whether I use it or not, it goes with me everywhere. Okay. Some guys, the like the the you know, the big the big sort of comp guys here, and I think Dwayne's the same, they use a just an old school gun with just standard 
double rubber sort of configuration or even a single rubber configuration so it saves on reload time. With a, with a roller, obviously, you've got double wrap most of the time and a reel, it, it adds a little bit more time to your reload. Is that kind of what you find? Is it worth the trade-off? Um, I do. I do, I do. So that goes to what the conditions are going to be like as well. Um, in Greece, where in five hours, I pulled the trigger five times and got five fish or five and a half hours. You know, the, the time spent on the surface, the rule of thumb was depth in meters divided by five is how long you have to stay on the surface. So if you're diving 55 meters, you're, diving, you're staying 11 minutes on the surface before your next dive. And so having to reload and say it takes 30 seconds longer, um, it doesn't, you know, it didn't really play and um, play a big role into that part. However, in a lake um, where we shot a hundred carp in five and a half hours, <laughs> I would never have used a roller because, or a double wrap or anything, because the fish weren't very smart, and so you just use a single roller. I mean, a single band, traditional gun, simple, um, simple mind thought. But you know, at the end of the day, you have to be very, very comfortable with your equipment. Um, you know, so if that gun takes you a long time to reload. Why does it take you a long time to reload? Is, or is it because you're just so used to your old gun? Um, you know, for me, the single roller, uh, my 115, I can reload that thing just as fast as I can a double band regular gun. What is that? I don't get the same accuracy or Range. smoothness, I feel, yeah, out of a, my old traditional gun as I do my my single roller. Mm. And I've shot it now for four years and I feel like I've taken it apart probably a million times and put it back together. And so <laughs> I feel like, you know, if it starts to feel a little different or it starts to act a little different, then I know it's, I've got to change my shooting string um, or I've got to put something wrong with my shaft or my barb or, or whatever it is. And uh, I think, you know, before you go into a competition, especially one of the caliber of worlds that you're spending all of this money to travel internationally, to have a place to stay, time away from home, time away from work, that you owe it to yourself um, and to the people that are supporting you to not allow simple things like your equipment get in the way of you doing well. Let's go through your full dive bag, though. Um, so sort of head to toe, what's, what's your um, what's your go-to gear? Well, I, like you said, penetrators. I Like the penetrator fins, um, I use a medium stiff penetrator blades for them i have a stiff pair of theirs but you have to have some big legs uh, <laughs> to kick them yeah. um i used them when i was in greece okay uh to kick up from the bottom and it for me it was i didn't want to have a fish lodge themselves into a crack so i used those stiff fins to help me basically horse the fish up whether that's the right thing to do or not i don't know what it is but the medium stiffness blades from penetrator are amazing and they you know they're made with uh such durability mindset um that i've put them up to everything and they've never chipped on me or broke and so you know you really can put your trust into them yeah um and then my wetsuit i've been wearing a hex wetsuit um for a couple of years now um and they're they're great wetsuits that carbon fiber weave inside of them 
uh, allows it to be a little bit more durable. Mm. You know, I've rubbed up on coral reefs and everything like that, and they're great. I chatted with Warren as well, and he sort of said um, you, you get a temperature advantage. Do you, do you find the the weave helps trap trap the warmth a bit more? I that as far as the warmth knows, um, I don't I don't really know. I I don't tend to get cold in the water because I've got a, a layer of wetsuit on that's just always with me. Yep. So, <laughs> um, you know, have I? If I was a little skinnier, maybe I would notice well, a little ma- bit. How um, much do you weigh? Uh, the last time I weighed myself, I was uh, two hundred and thirty-two pounds. Ah, yeah. no. So, what and how that? tall are you? One hundred and five, five eleven. Ah, yeah, okay, yeah, you're a robust unit, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to use the word husky. Okay, <laughs> there's there's more to me to love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, that's the crazy thing is you go to these spearfishing competitions and everybody are little people. Yeah, like all of the Europeans, lucky if they break 150 pounds and are six feet tall. You know, I think the only other guy that's relatively stocky is Dwayne, and he's an animal, and I think he's just stocky because he, he, his weightlifting regimen of lifting up kennas and swimming them miles uh, <laughs> is is in his advantage. And then there's a guy named Scott McIntosh, yeah, um, from New Zealand, and he is a beast of a man like that guy is scary <laughs> and uh his calves i swear i don't know how he puts them in any wetsuit and they don't just burst through <laughs> but uh, you know there isn't too many big men big women that yeah. spearfish either you yeah. know um a lot of them are are small skinny petite people so I'm just trying to fight my way for the big guys. That's it. Uh, you're, you're representing for me as well, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, so with the Hex Wetsuit was great. My mask is, my buddy Ryan Meyer says that it's a, uh, a fish bowl. <laughs> but uh, I've got such a round face for being extra sexy um, <laughs> that those low-volume masks like don't fit my face very yeah. well yeah and so like if i smile and i've got a tendency of smiling underwater it leaks and so i just go with my old faithful it's uh, one by aqa um it's called uh i want to say it's the naya or nio or something like that but the one set of things that uh i always make sure i have is my salvamar green gloves those things are I feel like I could take on the world with those things on my hand. It's like, what? Shark stealing my fish? Give me my gloves. I got this. <laughs> <laughs> you know? what, what, um, what do you like about them so much? Just the durability. Um, you know, they're, and that Spectra, or I don't even know what they're made out of, but, you know, they just, I feel like I can grab any lobster in a hole and pull them out and, and not have to worry about getting poked. Um, you know, and putting my hands into fish gills, never a problem. Oh, wow. It just the dexterity and everything like that have just always been really, really good. And they're they're built with a quality that I think are pretty awesome. You know, that's the only Salvamar thing I've ever owned. Um, but they're, that's the only thing I ever, you know, if, if the rest of their gear is anything like their gloves, then they're an amazing company. But uh, their gloves are... My favorite green Salvamar gloves, All size right. large. Love it. Those are, and then I've got a, a knife that I've had now for probably 
five years um, that GR Tar gave to me. And um, it's just your old, it's just, it looks exactly like the old or the regular ripe knife, but it's rusty to all hell. It barely cuts chum anymore. But uh, <laughs> the, the dive is, the knife has been with me around the world and it's, it's got some sentimental value to it and I'd be lost without it. So, GR yeah, Tar gave it to you. You're going to have to keep it forever. Like, that's the only dive I've ever had. Exactly. I've got to get that guy on the show. Yes. If you get that guy on the show, man, you you might have to have 15 different episodes for him because <laughs> he's got so many stories that it, and everyone, like uh, the first time I met him, he was a good friend of Uncle Rick's. And uh, so we got down there, so I hung out with this guy named Sasha and GR Tar. And um, I remember sitting there listening to these guys' stories and thinking, there's no freaking way. There's no way. <laughs> the stories that he's got are like, are you serious? And then, <laughs> you know, then you live a day with him and you're like, holy crap, that was some gnarly stuff. And it doesn't even bat him an eye. And you're like, shit, maybe, I'm sorry for swearing. Shucks, maybe, maybe he is telling, you know, and then you fax checked him because, you know, you're just in disbelief and everybody is a testament. Then, uh, you know, stands by it that GR Tar is a crazy mother trucker, and uh, <laughs> you know, and his stories are, are second to none. Yeah, but he's he's an amazing, amazing man, an amazing, amazing spear fisherman. Like just while we're on equipment, I mean, have you have you had any problems with equipment or any like really big lessons that you've learned or something a little different you do with equipment to everyone else? With slip tips, that was that was the biggest lesson learned for me. I lost a really nice. Uh, yellowfin tuna uh, in Panama a couple of years because I shot it with uh, a spectra slip tip and uh, there's no sharks in Panama whether it was over sharked or whatever it is there's just no sharks so there's no concern about it so you didn't have to use cable but I shot a, a tuna with it and uh, I reloaded the gun and a couple of days later we we're drifting through and I didn't check my gear and uh, that was the biggest fault is check your gear and bring extra, bring extra spectra, bring extra tips and stuff like that. Just because, I mean, you don't want to have the excuse of, oh, why did it do this and why did it do that? Um, you know, most of the gear that, that is available now, um, you know, the only error 90% of the time is user error. And, uh, you know, so as far as stuff has failed on me, I can't say it's failed on me because of the manufacturer side of it. It's more because I didn't do my part in, in making sure there was no nicks in my spectra line or um, or stuff like that. Uh, I guess I've just been really lucky as far as not having any guns go off accidentally or or reels malfunction or anything like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I think the biggest lesson I learned when I went to Australia and we dove off the North Katu out in uh, out of Cairns yep. was that I didn't bring enough shafts. Ah, okay. Because you basically need a shaft a day at least. Oh, wow. Because you guys have so much big fish. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And so, um, I mean, so many of my shafts bent just <laughs> from normal everyday just you know, shooting, I shot a Sweet Lips because I was in Fiji a couple of years ago and the Sweet Lips was like a prized fish. Yeah, yeah. I was down the cans and I had this monster Sweet Lips come up to me. I was like, oh my gosh. And I shot it 
And I freaking, of course, all missed the stone shot and all hell broke loose. And <laughs> I brought it to the boat. And but they're like, what the hell did you shoot that for? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? I was like, it's a Sweet Lips. Yeah, no crap, it's a Sweet Lips. But why'd you shoot that thing? That thing is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no. I was like, we ate this thing in Fiji. It was good. <laughs> no, 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 that's ramen. You don't eat that. There was a guy on the other boat. His name was, uh, oh, what if he was the Silver Gorilla. Oh, I forget what his name was. But, uh, Vamin. He's all like, no, nah, that's Vamin. That's Vamin, mate. Yeah, that's Vamin, mate. I was like, what? I was so bummed. Yeah. And, uh, of course, that bent my shaft to, to pretzel. But, uh, what, what, you know, it's... What shaft are you using? Is it 7 mil or... <laughs> Before, yeah, it was a seven point seven and a quarter mil, just those South African shafts. Um, but now I use a, a Dean Kerwitz hat. Um, it's a Affliction. Um, uh, what is that? Shaft out of California. Okay. And uh, he makes great shafts. He really, really does. And he's, uh, he's allowed me to put a personal touch on my shafts. I put a little... Little hashtag Justin Lee the daily stories on it. Uh, I'm my barbs. Oh no! So, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so, cool. So when you're sitting, when you're sitting in there, and you know you got your, and you go on a boat trip, and uh, you're just looking for your shaft in a big, you know, everybody usually puts their shafts in a, in a tube of some sort, and when you need a shaft, you just go and grab it. You know, and, and of course, they all got rubber stoppers on the top, but you can see the barb so they don't get stuck on the bottom. And uh, just make sure that, hey, that's my shaft, bro. That's <laughs> just Lee stories on it. Yeah. <laughs> don't touch my shaft. You can touch my shaft, but you can't touch my shaft. What's, uh, <laughs> what, what's the name of the guy that makes them again? I'm going to link it up. His name is Dean Kerwitz. Dean Kerwitz. And what's the name of the company? Affliction. Affliction. Okay, cool. And and uh, are they are they stainless or what's he making them out of? I know they don't rust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got right into the technical um, details there, Justin. I love oh, it. Not affliction. Sorry, vector. Vector. Um, vector. Yeah, V E C T O T O R. I think it used to be affliction, but now they're vector. Okay, cool, cool. I'll check him out. That sounds good. I think I've seen one of his videos, like his process for making them and stuff. It looks, he looks pretty cluey. So, yeah, he's he makes amazing stuff. I'm just gonna uh, order a batch of daily stories shafts. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> and uh, put a bunch of shafts. Put noob all over them. Yeah, that's a good idea. Noob shafts. And uh, noob. Yeah. Um, so when you got out on the Norcat, the Norcat Two, is that was that a good charter out there? Obviously, monster fish and some funny dudes, but um, did, <laughs> yeah. did you, you enjoyed it? Oh, I had such a blast, and I think it was, you know, um, it goes to testament to who the people were on the boat. You know, um, those two guys that run it, Troy and uh, oh, what's his brother's name? Yeah. Anyway, so those guys. Are amazing, dude. Like we had such a fun time on that Norcat too. And then we had a couple of Aussies on there. So we had Jay Dean, which is uh, and Chris Brunham, uh, you know, photographer guy. Jade is from the north side. Then we had Rick, and we had two of his old buddies, okay. old crusty guys that are just old school spear fishermen that <laughs> are just a blast to be around and made fun of you. So they tell me they're like Justin. I was like. You know, you come from Hawaii where you've got 
seven or eight really prized fish when you're lying on the bottom um, that you're really trying to hunt when you got a spear gun in your hand. And they're like, out here, you've got like a hundred fish. Yeah. And uh, he's all like, but everything's edible. And if we can't, we'll turn it into burly. I was like, okay. He's like, so just shoot a fish, come up. And if we say yes, yes. If we say no, come up, we'll chop it up. We're doing the burly. So when we do our blue drifts, I was like, okay. Every time I shoot a fish, I come up to like, what the hell did you shoot that for? That's vermin. I'd be like, you guys said shoot whatever, and we'll talk about it on the thing. He's like, that's vermin. No, no. I'm like, what? So, um, you know, and then we had myself, Kimmy Warner, which is an amazing human. Uh, her boyfriend, Justin, which is another amazing human. And uh, we had Mike Hong. And, uh, and that was the 10th guy to, to round it out. And, you know, we just had amazing times. One of the coolest non-spearfishing things. In the middle of the night, I had to pee at like 2 o'clock in the morning. And we anchored off in some bay. I don't even know where we were at. And some, yeah. So we anchored off and I went to go pee off the back of the North Cat. And there's steps in the back of the boat that lead down to the water. And I went back there, and each step had hundreds of just little three, four-inch um, sardine-looking things. And I was like, what the heck? Because there was a light sticking on the water. So I threw a handful of them back over water, and as soon as they hit the water, there was a bunch of jacks sitting in the back of the thing. And oh, I was wow. like, no way. And so I just started throwing them over, like, Skittles. And it was just feeding the fish hand by hand, and then all of a sudden— a big trevally came through that was probably 50 or 60 pounds. And uh, I was like, holy snakes. And so I ran inside and I, got, I woke up Mike Hong and Justin woke up as well. And I was like, oh, you guys got to check this out. And we started throwing and it was just, we were hand feeding these, this 50, 60 pound giant trevally oh, wow. off the back of the boat. It was epic. Yeah. And you know, it was really, really cool. And then I caught a seabird. That was pretty, one of the birds was, on the top of the boat and snuck up to it. I think Chris was the one that bet me five bucks that I couldn't catch it <laughs> and uh, had to prove him wrong. So <laughs> climbed up to the top of the boat and uh, caught it. Um, but yeah, it was such a blast. I mean, the food was so good. The, the beers are cold and they had a flash freezer on, uh, on the boat. So when you spread your fish, you fillet them up, put it in bags and froze it and got it ready for your trip back home. Ah, awesome. I mean, I Took back so much fish, some some finger mark, that sort of some goldies. Those is fabulous. Um, I haven't had one yet. I've heard they're really good. Oh man, they're really really good. Um, but uh, talk about Australian legends. I met uh, Tim McDonald up here. Yeah, yeah. Father Tim, that guy is a legend, man. He's he's got some amazing footage. And I mean, one night I went down. Um, what is that? Mike Hong took him out to dinner, and I met up with him and stuff. And we went back to the house that they're staying at, and uh, it was like no joke. I was like a, a kid meeting, like a high school kid meeting his girlfriend <laughs> or his yeah. first crush. Yeah. <laughs> and he and I just sat up like all night talking, diving, and looking at videos till like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and uh, the same until my wife called me. He's all like, "Where are you?" I was like, "I'm sorry." I'll be home in a little bit, an hour and a half later. I'm like, I told my wife I was leaving like 10 minutes, like two hours ago. So uh, I got to start moving. He's like, yeah. And then another hour goes on because he starts talking about this other spot. And then we start, I mean, yeah, the conversation I had with Tim that night was pretty memorable. And we didn't even get in the water. And uh, might be one of my favorite dives I've ever had. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's obsessed, that guy. We've had him on the show. And 
couple of other people you've mentioned as well. But yeah, chat and sparing with guys like that, you can talk all day and all night. It's good stuff. It's it's crazy. And you know, he we didn't have a, a lick of alcohol in between both of us, but I swear we were both drunk. Like I mean, just giddy talking stories and laughing and <laughs> oh it was it was good. It Very was really, good. really good. Adreno Spearfishing are today's proud sponsor of the Noob Spiro podcast. They stock a huge range of equipment that you can find in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, and now Perth. That's right, spearfishing.com.au have got a huge range of gear. I encourage you to get along, use the code Noob Spiro, N-O-O-B-S-P-E-A-R-O, and save yourself $20 on every purchase over $200 when you shop online. All right, cool. Hey, last part of the show, Justin, is a faster paced round of questions. Spiro Q and A. Um, what is the single best piece of advice you've been given spearfishing? Um, the best diver is the diver having the most fun. You know, as simple as that. As you know, so many people are. You know, they put so much emphasis on the biggest fish or world records or doing well in competition. If at the end of the day you're having a blast, and that's all that matters, man. The ocean is there for us to have fun in it, and uh, don't 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 think too much about missing a fish or not getting the place in a competition. But uh, just put an emphasis on the memory of of being there with good friends. Um, if you had to start out all over again, would you do anything differently? Um, yeah. I'd have my dad pull my bag for me instead of me pull my his bag. <laughs> but, uh, no, um, you know, I think, you know, I'm sure it's just a generic answer. Um, you know, you learn so much in my, my uh, growth in spearfishing. Um, it's still slow and it's still a growing process and it's still a growing plan. But it was all such a gradual um, move forward that, you know, you couldn't – you couldn't have put the left foot in front of the right foot if you didn't do what you did the first step. I don't know if that makes any sense, but you know, every step along the way, you learn something new that uh, gets you gets you to where you be, yeah, uh, where you're at. That's and, good. That's uh, good advice. I think there's there's so many people out there that you know, first thing they want to do is get into spearfishing, so they go and buy the most expensive spear gun out there, the a pair of the most expensive fins and stuff like that, and. You know, I think uh, what you really got to do is just go out there and, and enjoy it and, um, and slowly move forward. With a pole spear, it allows you to hunt fish, learn from people, dive with people that, are, that have experienced, and just pick up as many, like I said earlier, pay as many of those straight good arrows as possible and put them in your quiver. Yeah, nice. It's a good, good concept, man. Um, what current improvements are you trying to make in your spearfishing, and how are you sort of doing that? Um, for me, it's, uh, breath hold, you know, um, there's, and being comfortable at deeper depths, you know, the next world championships we just found out is going to be in Italy. So it's going to be another really deep dive. And, uh, so that's a big thing and, and trying to get, and the only way to really work on that kind of stuff is, is working on myself physically and, uh, like all of my teeth are sweet teeth. And it's a battle that I've had ever since I was little. So I love candy and cookies. And <laughs> um, I mean, I think that, 
down in New Zealand. I mean, in Australia, you guys have that purple box of just a mixture from the flutes to the <laughs> the crunchies to oh, I don't even the Mondays, more more golden about, gay times. Yeah, you know, so it, all of that stuff. It's I mean, I've got so what I'm trying to work on is my diet more than anything. Yeah, um, to get to get my body into um, shape that it needs to get into to be able to do well at depth again and uh, and hopefully um, you know do well enough again uh, not again but do well enough um, to let the world know that there's some pretty talented spear fishermen in uh, Hawaii and in America yeah awesome man alright last question um, you've been some to some pretty special places all over the world um, where haven't you been that you would love to go next uh I would really, really, really like to dive South Africa. Um, people talk about how crazy it is, but I hear there's some big fish, um, and the challenges of diving down there is a challenge. Um, you know, the big fish, big, big sharks, uh, rough water. Um, but I think just the adventure of getting to South Africa would be really, really cool. Um, but it seems like there's always a new place that seems just as as awesome. Uh, like Qatar, um, Kuwait, supposedly the diving out there is, is supposed to be unbelievable. Um, I haven't done too much in the South Pacific, and I'd like to chase some big dog-tooth tunas. I heard that fish is second to none as far as just epicness. Um, but there was just always a, a, a draw to South Africa that I don't know what it is, but it just feels like it's calling me, and I want to go out <laughs> there, and I want to check it out. All right, cool, man. Hey, Justin, it's been a pleasure um, chatting with you. I like there's plenty of gold nuggets all through this chat, and I'm sure people people have got a ton of um, of value out of it. The, the quiver concept's cool, you know, just borrowing ideas wherever you go. It's really cool. Hey, where, where can people find you, man? Uh, follow me on Instagram. Okay. Um, my, my handle on Instagram is the easiest way. It's at bigisleboy24, so B- I G I S L E B O Y two four. Okay, um, cool, cool. And that's the easiest way. I'll link yeah. that up in today's show notes, and so that's an easy one. And what's the the defor the reforestation project you're working on? The you. It's called Haloa Aina, which is H A L O A A I N A dot com, and uh, it's on the south side of the Big Island. Uh, it's just under three thousand acres of. Uh, some pretty amazing dry land forest, and uh, it's a lot better today than it was yesterday. And uh, I can't wait to see what it is tomorrow. Yeah, awesome, man. I will. Um, I'll link some of the stuff up in today's show notes. So if people just want to type in Justin Lee Noob Spiro, that'll come right up. And uh, it's been a pleasure, man. Anything else you got coming up in the near future? Uh, I got my trip to Panama coming up, and uh, I'm just really, really looking forward to Italy in 2020. And uh, seeing some of the old guys that I met in Greece and uh, and some of the relationships that I've made out there and see them again. Yeah, cool, man. Well, uh, all the best for that as well. And uh, let's stay in touch. Sounds like a plan, Isaac. Justin Lee, what a champion. Give it up for him. Go and connect with him on Instagram, big old boy. 
Uh, and uh, I'll link that up in today's show notes. If there's anything that got mentioned today, just head along to newspira.com and you'll find that in the latest interview section if you scroll down. And uh, he's a champion. I love the competition insights, particularly about like, um, I mean, maybe it's common sense, but obviously scouting, you know, is just having that time in the water, um, in the area, learning what works in different conditions and tides and so on. And then really having a, a strategic species list and maybe crossing off the easier ones on the list first before you move on. Uh, cool idea. Ideas, particularly if you're competitive, like the middle child, like a Justin. Uh, and uh, but yeah, what a fantastic guy! It was awesome for to um, chat with him today. Uh, in a fortnight, that's two weeks. We are headed off to talk with Tim. Tim's from New Zealand, and he has only been spearing for a year. But you'd be surprised; he's learned a hell of a lot in one year. The biggest part of this interview is dedicated to taking on anxiety and fear, and confronting it. And he gives. He tells some awesome stories and gives a hell of a lot of advice about internal ways to, to manage, uh, you know, the flight or flight response and uh, just an absolute champion. It's a really sort of uh, open and honest interview. Really cool. Mad tips. Tim Kaverman. So look out for that. Episode 99. Cheap as 100 is just around the corner. And uh, if you love today's podcast and you like the Noob Spiro podcast, you've been listening for a while, love it if you could come along to patreon.com forward slash Noob Spiro and get on and back us. Uh, there's three levels you can support the show at. $2 an episode, $5 or $10. And we've got about seven pa- patrons now and it's growing every week. I'm super stoked that uh, that, that we've opened up Patreon as a great way to sort of crowdfund and uh, keep the momentum going with the podcast. So check that out, patreon.com forward slash newspiro. Thanks for joining me today, guys. As usual, your love on social and reviews always helps. I'm out. Today's New Spirit podcast is also proudly brought to you in partnership with penetratorfins.com. Get on there, guys. Have a look at some of the designs I've got. They've got clears. The blacks are beautiful. Check out the Noob Spiro custom Oki print. It's mad as well. Larry's got a full range of wicker designs, and he's got a beautiful finish on his fins. He's uh, recently updated his manufacturing process. It's even better than it was before. He makes some of the best fins in the world. Uh, he offers a full international warranty, and uh, to, to make that offer even sweeter, pump in the code Noob Spiro at checkout and save another 20 bucks. Penetratorfins.com. Support the Noob Spiro podcast by shopping with our sponsor.